the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amin. Today is the second Sunday of the Holy 50 Days. We read in the Gospel this morning in the sixth chapter of St. John, Jesus said to the people, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. There are many ways that we can um, try to summarize the readings for these Holy 50 Days under a certain theme. And one of those ways is to see that in the Gospel readings over the next several weeks, Christ speaks of himself as the great I am. I am the bread of life, I am the living water, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and so on. And all of these beautiful I am's are found in the Gospel of St. John. And they are um, very important expressions of the Lord because, as you see in the Gospels, they, they tend to shock the people, especially those who are learned in the Holy Scriptures, because they understood that the expression I am is the name of God that was revealed in the Old Testament. When Moses stood before the burning bush and had that revelation of God speaking to him from that burning bush and was sent to the people of Israel and Egypt, he asked for the name of the one who was sending him. When they asked me who sent me, what shall I say to them? And he said, I am who I am. I am he who is. And this revelation is what the, the Jewish people in the Old Testament translated as Jehovah or in English or Yahweh. The word Jehovah literally means in, in Hebrew, he who is or I am who I am. And so when Jesus speaks of himself as the great I am, he is showing us that he is Yahweh. He is Jehovah. He is the God, the creator of the universe, the savior of the world. But he's not simply revealing himself as God, but he's revealing himself as a personal God because God revealed himself not just as the one who is, but he said, I am. I is the personal existence. I am the being, but I am a person. I am one that can enter into relationship, into covenant, into intimacy, into friendship into a loving bond. And so when Christ reveals himself as the great I am, he's not revealing to us that he came to show us a way to God, but he reveals to us that he is the very way, truth, and life. He is the very existence of communion with God. And so all of these um, metaphors of bread and, and wine uh, and light and water and the way, all of these are meant to show us, again, the importance of the resurrection as a new beginning in the relationship between God and man. The resurrection establishes a new and final covenant that invites man to an intimacy that was not yet known or experienced by the people of God until that point. And when he speaks of himself today as the bread of life, he uses the expression bread or water because this is the essence of what man needs to survive. 
to eat bread and to drink water. And each one of us today, if we are coming to take the Holy Eucharist, we have fasted since last night, uh, or if we are children, perhaps we fasted for a few hours this morning. Um, and we come experiencing a little bit of hunger. And perhaps by the end of the liturgy, we've experienced a great deal of hunger. And this is good. This is on purpose. We're supposed to experience a little bit of discomfort. We're supposed to experience hunger pains. And what we all probably share in our experience is that when we eat that small morsel of bread, which has become the body of Christ, and when we take that small sip of wine, which has become the blood of Christ, we find great satisfaction. We find great uh, comfort. We feel as if we have eaten a meal. We have uh, broken our hunger. We have satisfied our thirst. And so what I want to, us to think about this morning is the Eucharist is the body and the blood of Christ. This is a theological truth. But it is also a sign. It is also a reminder. It is also what I want to say, an awakening. It is, it is in its very nature something that awakens us to other realities. And again, the very fact that we come hungry to the church in order to have a small morsel of bread and sip of wine, which have become the body and the blood of Christ, awakens us to the hunger that we should feel for God, awakens us to the thirst that we should experience deep in our souls that we don't find outside of the walls of this church, that we don't find in going to IHOP this morning, that we don't find in uh, sitting in front of our TVs and drinking our coffee and having our eggs benedict. Those are all wonderful joys but there is something that we came for today, each one of us. There's a hunger that can only be satisfied by he who is on the altar. And so the Eucharist is an awakening. It awakens us, which is exactly how many describe the resurrection. And the hymns of the church, we, we speak of Christ who is awakened from sleep. Death is like sleep, and the resurrection is an awakening. And so the Eucharist for us is an awakening of our souls, is an awakening of our, of our hearts to greater realities. The Eucharist also then is an awakening to the fact that God is present among us. The last thing that Christ did with his disciples on Holy Thursday was that he broke bread. He broke bread with them, and then he disappears. And then the two disciples, the two apostles on the road to Emmaus, the first time they see Christ, whom they don't recognize as Christ, speaks the word of God to them, revealing himself in the scriptures. But then he, what does he do with them? He breaks bread. And immediately after he breaks bread, he does what? He disappears. So think about these two sort of like bookends. Christ broke bread before his passion 
and he disappeared out of sight. And when he rose from the dead, he broke bread and again he disappears. As if he's saying on the, on the, on the, on the, on the front end of his journey to the passion, you will see me no more as you see me now, but you will see me and you will experience me and you will enjoy me in this breaking of bread. And again, he appears to them after the resurrection. Perhaps they might think we can, as Mary Magdalene thought, cling to him, grasp him, hold him, keep him down with us again. And he says, do not cling to me. Do not hold on to me. And then he breaks bread and disappears and says, you will not see me again, even much longer in this resurrected form, but you will see me again in the bread and the wine. So the Eucharist is an awakening to the fact that God is among us. He is present. He's here. He is inside of us. He is around us. And he has become food and drink for us so that we might never forget that God is Emmanuel, God with us. Every time I speak about the Eucharist, I always like to point out that the word in English, companionship, literally comes from the two words to break or to um, with bread. Come, panis, with bread. Companionship means two people to share bread. Right? And today we have um, advance where two people might share Starbucks. Right? But we still understand that notion of companionship as two people sharing a meal, a drink fellowship. And so when Christ says, I am the bread of life, he is awakening us to his fellowship with us, to his companionship, to his intimacy, his closeness to us. And he chooses bread because bread is not something that just has a sort of natural um, component that grows from the ground, the wheat but it requires man's participation. Bread ultimately requires man to take the wheat and to make it into bread. And so this companionship again, as if Christ is, is, is saying this is a partnership. There's a certain equality. There's a certain um, role that I will play and there's a certain role that you must play for us to share bread. That's why the Eucharist is never just, uh, we, we are never just sitting in church as uh, a sort of entertainment, even if it's a holy entertainment, but we are participants. We, we don't simply come to be bystanders, but each one of us comes to participate. And there are many ways that we participate. We participate in the praise Right, the sacrifice of praise, we say. It is a sacrifice that is acceptable to God. We say in many of the silent prayers of the priest that the sacrifice of praise, the sacrifice of our prayers be like this incense which is rising up to heaven and that it would be like the sacrifice of Isaac, accepted unto you as a sweet-smelling aroma. So there is an obligation that comes with breaking the bread. We come to participate. We come to receive, yes, but we also come to give. Lord, I came to give you 
what is mine, my sins, my fears, my weaknesses, my requests, my petitions, my illnesses, my good deeds, everything that I have, good and bad, I give it to you. Take it with you on the altar and join it to yourself. And let it rise up to the Father together. And to me, this is one of the most beautiful ways of looking at the liturgy, is that Christ is the priest, but he's the sacrifice. And his sacrifice, as we say in all of the readings and prayers, is a sweet-smelling sacrifice that the Father receives joyfully because he did the will of the Father for us. So what he allows us to do is to join him on, in that sacrifice, to unite everything that is ours to all that is his, to offer it to the Father. And so again, the Eucharist is an awakening to this fellowship and to this partnership. The Eucharist is also an awakening to, we might call it the bread of promise. Every time you come to participate in the Eucharist, you renew, you awaken within yourself the promises of God. Because what does the priest do when he comes to the church in the morning? He prepares the table. But it's not the priest who prepares the table. Who prepared the table on Holy Thursday? Christ. It was his table. They were his guests. And so when the priest comes and he prepares all of these linens, it's not just to make the altar look nice, but he's preparing the table of the Lord. He's preparing the, the table of fellowship, the meal that we will share together. And Christ spoke of the table as a sign of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven, he said, is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. And what is the most important thing that we know that uh, at wedding banquets, apart from the dancing? Right. The food. It's sitting at the table. The, when you go, you first thing you do is you find where's your assigned seat, which table are you sitting at? And so Christ is saying to us, before he dies in a sense, he's saying to us that we are in heaven, my Father, the Spirit and I, along with all the angels and all those righteous who have gone before you, all of us are preparing for you a table. We are receiving you. And it is actually true in the experience of the saints that before somebody dies in the hope of the resurrection, that there is a preparation that takes place in heaven. All of those who have experienced those heavenly mystical sort of experiences testify that when a soul is preparing to depart, whether the soul knows it or not, those in heaven are notified. The saints are notified, the angels are notified. This soul is coming soon to us. And there's a certain celebration, there's a certain anticipation in heaven for each one of us that's about to arrive. So when Christ says that the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son, what joy should be in your heart and in my heart that every time we participate 
in, in the liturgy, in the Eucharist, we are awakened to this promise. We should leave from church full of exuberant joy just by the remembrance of that table of what God is preparing for us. We might also say that the Eucharist is the bread of hope. The bread of hope in this life in which we call the valley of tears that each one of us must go through. And I just want to read a very beautiful quote I came across by a, a Russian pre Orthodox priest, Father Andrei Gorgas, in, in an article he wrote called, it's an interesting title, he said, Why Are We Never Happy? I think he, by his title, he describes modern man very, very accurately. Why are we never happy? So he says, we know, we all know that we are all mortal. Approximately around the age of six to seven or eight to ten, we learn that one day we too will die. We know that everything on earth changes and that everything will come to an end. Everything will come to an end for us as well. But the soul cannot accept it, which is why the most terrifying affliction for anybody on earth is death. Death is what demeans all of our joy. It demeans our youth, demeans love, it demeans domestic happiness, achievements, careers, and creativity. For if I am to exist no more, what is the point of it all? If everyone has to die, who, who am I laboring for? In other words, death is the main obstacle to life and human happiness. People live in an unceasing, almost constant fear of death. Fear of death is like the background of life. From the moment a child becomes aware of his mortality, fear of death becomes a constant, sometimes conscious, at times unconscious, background of his life. This fear of death consumes all joy. It consumes the satisfaction with one's life, the joy of love, the joy, the joy of parenthood, the joy of creative success, and the joy of prayer. So Christ comes and says, there will be no more death. I have conquered death. This is the Christian's main happiness. The happiness, the happiness of knowing that there is no more death. This is the joy that comes to us on Pascha. It is the joy of our own and each and everyone's personal immortality. We are now immortal in Christ. We have nothing to fear from now on. We can be happy. The joy of Pascha should mean endless rejoicing, the resounding of bells, the singing of Christos Anissi. So again, the Eucharist for us is an awakening to this hope. Because Christ, again, if we look at these two bookends that I spoke of, he offered his body and his blood before he died. He offered it as shed blood, as broken body. He says, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for, the, for you and for many, for the life of the world. Take, drink, this is my blood, which is shed. And the disciples are looking at him saying, you look perfectly fine to us. There's no broken body or shed blood. And so he says to them by this very act that death has no power. I offer already my broken body and my shed blood because I have the power, he says, what, to lay it down and I have the power, what, to take it back. And this is what he offers each one of us. And that's why when we say the prayers for the liturgy, we speak about at the end in the confession, 
right? For salvation, remission of sins, and eternal life to those who partake of him. Not just partake of him in a sort of ritualistic way. Not just you come at the last minute, you take the Eucharist and you go home and you, and you say, I'm immortal. But who take him. Take him, yes, in his body and his blood, but take him also according to the Spirit. Take him 24 hours a day as you, as you, as you pray, as you commune with him in your soul, as you speak to him as a friend and as a lover. Take him. And when you take him at any moment, you have eternity within you. Yes, the, the Eucharist is, is a pinnacle of our worship. But eternal life is within you as soon as you say the word Jesus, my Savior, my God, or like St. Thomas last week, my Lord and my God. At that moment that you say that, you have eternal life within you. But the Eucharist is an especial awakening of this reality. We need that, at least weekly, if not more, to be reminded. The final point I want to make is that the this is the bread that draws us, pulls us, drags us to God. Right? What did uh, Jesus say at the end of the gospel today? He said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. What is this expression? No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. The literal translation is this idea that no one can come to the Son unless the Father pulls him to the Son, unless the Father attracts him to the Son, drags him. The same word that's used here in the Greek is the same word that is used to describe uh, a, um, a net, a fishing net that is full of fish and you are what? Pulling it into the boat or into the shore and the resistance, you know, the resistance of a heavy net that's full of fish or um, I have to tell you a quick uh, joke, this reminded me. One time we were fishing, deep sea fishing, and uh, one of the people that was with us was kind of fell asleep a little bit. On these deep sea fishing trips, they're hours. So we were what's called trolling, where you're, the boat is moving, but you have the bait you know, in the back of the boat to try to catch the big fish. And so, um, so we took a bucket, a big empty bucket, and uh, we put it at the end of the fishing line and we threw it out. And so just a simple plastic bucket, if it fills with water and the boat is moving 20 knots, whatever, right? The fishing line goes zzz, right? And it bends like you've just caught a 300 pound marlin. And so we all uh, planned that once the fishing line goes, everybody would yell what usually would fishermen, fish on, fish on, right? And so the, the guy who was asleep would jump out of his seat, right? And we're like, this is yours, right? So fish on, the guy jumps up. We put him in the seat with the belt. He thinks he has like a 300 pound fish on and he spends like 30 minutes <laughs> reeling in an empty bucket. But such resistance this bucket had when it's just full of water and being 
pulled into it, you know, under, under the sea, right? Won't say how his reaction was afterwards. <laughs> so keep that in mind if you go deep sea fishing and somebody falls asleep. But it reminded me of just this resistance, right? And, and so what Christ is saying is that the Father is pulling us despite our resistance. Despite being that, that resisting force to come to God, it is his initiative that draws us. And so one English, famous English author spoke of God as the great hound of heaven. The hound of heaven. The one who is, who is hound, uh, the hound who is searching for his uh, prey. Right? And we are that prey. And so we can speak of God as the hound of heaven. We can speak of him as the great nudger. The one who nudges us always. Awakening us to his presence, to eternal life the life of faith and so on so when you have any thought I should go to church maybe I should read my bible maybe I should say a prayer whatever that thought is we should assume that this is the father who is nudging us He's pulling us. He's attracting us. He's reminding us. He's awakening us. And so the life of the Christian is to be responsive to the, the voice of the Spirit within us, to, to this nudging of the, of, of, of the divine person who says, wake up. You know, when you try to wake up somebody who's in deep sleep, you have to shake them a little bit. Wake up. And so this is what God does with us. And so the Eucharist is one of those means that he does to awaken us. Every time we come, every time we, we, we stand and pray and we come to approach, ask yourself this question today. Let's try this as an exercise, each one of us today. What is God nudging me today to do? What is he asking of me <coughs> today to do? What does he want me to change in my life? What does he want me to improve on in my spiritual life? How does he want to deepen his relationship with me? So, I am the bread of life. I am the bread that is fellowship, communion, companionship. I am the bread that is a promise of the eternal banquet that we have prepared for you. I am the bread of hope that brings happiness in this valley of tears in which death is such a ever-present reminder in our daily lives. And I am the bread that pulls and attracts and draws us to the, the Father. I am the great awakening presence through this bread. May our Lord Jesus Christ grant us this grace to be responsive and to cooperate with all that he does for our salvation. To him be all glory now and ever and to the ages of ages. Amen. He was